Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. was playing as we were greeting, and it's a song called I'm On My Way by Rhiannon Giddens, and it's, you can feel that sense of loss, and we've been talking about the various places that we receive stories. We've talked about TV shows and novels and plays, and one of the ways that we find stories is in song, and I don't know about you, but I think when Words mean something to us, but they're connected to a tune, and then it stays in your mind, and you start singing it, and somehow it weaves itself, at times, deeper into our lives than perhaps stories in other ways. There's something about that combination of the different sounds and senses. But I don't know if you experience this, but I think seeing a song performed live is even more powerful, because you're watching fingers pluck instruments. And you're seeing eye to eye the people who are actually making those harmonies. And there's just something about an experience shared with others, live music, that's, that's just fascinating. I felt that this week at a concert, but it reminded me of the first time that I heard Rhiannon Giddens because I saw her live. She was singing with the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra in 2017. And a friend of mine actually knew her and said, let's go. You're really going to like her. And so we listened, and she sang different covers. The whole night was a bunch of different singers, and they were covering old classic songs. But when I started to dig into her own genre and what she has written, and I learned more about her, it was fascinating. She's won both Grammy, and she received a MacArthur Genius Grant. And she went and actually studied opera in Oberlin Conservatory because she grew up in the South, She's the daughter of a black mother and a white father, and she looked around at her Appalachian roots and the Appalachian music that filled her days, and she felt like, I don't see where it's there for me. I don't find that connection. There's something she felt like an outsider in her community. So she studied opera, but she couldn't get away from all this music that she loved as a kid. And she picked up a banjo after graduating, and she just couldn't let go. But Rhiannon waded through the history of this instrument she had fallen in love with. And she discovered that it had its own lost story. Because while it seemed like a very Americana instrument, it was actually from Africa. And the first people who ever played it were slaves on a plantation. And so she held on to this banjo, connected to its roots, and decided that her songs going forward would tell lost stories lost stories from her community, from her history, from the people that she grew up with. And so she now sings and tells stories through her songs, through her lost experiences. Jesus was a storyteller. And we're spending all summer looking at his parables and the ways he weaved in images. And I can imagine, I just can imagine, if it's so great to hear a concert live versus reading lyrics on a screen, I can imagine just the words that we get to read on the pages of the Bible. Imagine hearing Jesus' voice telling those stories. Like, what nuances did he put in? 
What rhythms to his original language that we don't catch in translation? Did he have a rhyme scheme, a beat? Did he do it with a little sway? We don't know. Just imagine. And so Jesus was a creative storyteller, and in the same way, he tells stories of things that are lost. And today we're going to read two lost parables. He opened up people to that feeling to say, what does it feel like when you feel lost? And how do you find your way again? We're finishing our journey of the Redeemed series. This piece is called Crocus Bloom, Papyrus Grow, and we examine the growth that Jesus infused in his stories. We're going to be in Luke 15 today. There's three lost stories, actually, but we're going to read just the first two. Come back next week for part two. But we're going to begin in verses 1 and 2, and we're going to look at the setting, because each of Jesus' parables don't just come out of nowhere. They come out of a conversation. So let's see what triggered this particular conversation. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, we have muttering going on. We have talked and talked about these groups of people that keep challenging Jesus. And they're, they're labeled all these different things. And so we keep pulling up this slide to say, look at the different groups of people who were all trying to lead others spiritually in Jesus' day. So I keep calling them spiritual influencers because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to influence people according to their training and their view of God and the way they wanted to practice their faith. And so Jesus keeps expanding and saying, it's okay to practice our faith in all these different ways and still follow God's law, and he kept opening their eyes up to what living out God's truth really looked like. So Pharisees are mentioned here. They really love to study God's law, but they also like to put a lot of extra rules on it. They're like, okay, if you're going to follow God's law, then you want to make sure you don't break the law. So then they put a bunch of extra rules on top of that just to make sure that no one was doing any breaking of laws. But then they expected everybody to follow the extras, and they felt very elite at the time. And we also talk about teachers in that middle circle. And they were a liaison to Rome. Like if Rome was coming in and wanted to deal with the Jewish people, they would talk to the chief priests and the teachers. So they also felt very special, right? They have a special role in their community. So these are the people that are looking around and like, okay, at this point in Jesus' ministry, crowds, big crowds came to follow him. And people were listening putting into practice, and we can tell by the way that they are gathered around him, and in the previous verses in Luke 14, Jesus is saying, here's how to become a disciple. It's going to require sacrifice, it's going to require commitment, and those are the people listening, so they're listening for a purpose, and therefore, the muttering is happening because these are people that Jesus is saying, yep, you can become a disciple of mine, and these elites don't feel like they're worthy enough. So here, the people are labeled sinners in society, and I put that in quotes because that is how the community is viewing them. And Jesus keeps saying again and again, hey, everyone sins. Even though the, the spiritual leaders wouldn't want to label themselves as sinners, Jesus is saying, We're all, you're all at the same equal level at the foot of God's kingdom. So here we have what's going on, and Jesus responds in a parable. First parable, verse 3. Jesus told them, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country 
go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. If you notice here, the word shepherd is never used, which I find fascinating and just kind of noticed um, in my studies this time around, someone pointed out. And that's even more interesting, right? Because you would think an owner would hire shepherds. So it's not just saying like, hey, you lost one of my sheep, shepherd out in the field, go find it. The owner himself is coming out. I feel like that has an even more bigger, a bigger meaning to me, to be like the owner himself is going to come out and seek what was lost. But even if he's not called a shepherd, perhaps those listening then and maybe us now, you think about Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And that's how God's people, they'd have these words memorized and in their prayers. And Jesus is like, if the Lord is your shepherd, this is what it looks like. He's going out. He cares about everyone in the flock. Now, Jesus ends up asking a kind of a question in the parable. Did you see that? He was like, you know, doesn't he leave it and go and wouldn't, kind of like, it's almost like, wouldn't you if this was your sheep? But actually, the people would be like, no, I'm not going to leave 99 just out in the open. I'm going to put them in a pen first, or I'm going to grab a shepherd and tell them to go watch them. They're like, no, this, I don't relate. So Jesus is saying, here's God depicted in a way that he's doing something different. He's not doing the average action. Note this. When Jesus says, over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent, so this is talking about repentance here, and there's a lot of theory about, like, if we could just hear his voice. This is where I want to know what Jesus sounded like in this moment, because some people take this to be like, is this really tongue-in-cheek? Because he's already been talking about how everyone, no one's perfect, no one's righteous without God. So he's like, well, 99 who don't need to repent. Do you think he kind of had a little twinkle in his eye, like, you think you don't need to repent, and yet you're still in the same flock? Okay, moving on. These two parables were meant to be read right together. He just keeps going to the next example. Verse 8. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors, and together they rejoice. She says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now the coins in question are probably, they're, in the original language, drachma, so each one is worth one day's wage, and it perhaps could have been a part of her dowry, what she would need to use for future marriage. So this wasn't just a financial loss, this was personal, this was social, so losing this meant a lot to her. If it's, if it's dark, you want to light a lamp, you want to have extra light, and, and Jesus again has this question, like, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you do the same? And yeah, that was probably one they could relate to, like, yeah, if I lost something, I'm going to sweep everywhere. I'm going to look everywhere to find um, finances like this. But perhaps it's funny because both people, when they find the thing, they throw a big party. And you think, 
Well, economically, that doesn't make a lot of sense because you just spent more throwing a party over what you lost than getting your property back. But that's not the point. It's not about the finances. It's about something more. So let's look at these parables because they're both giving us the same point. And we're going to see that both the man and the woman are representatives of Jesus. They are seeking what is lost. They don't mind to put in the hard work of this discipleship process. They are both generous hosts, right? Because Jesus talks about this hospitality. And you, we see him being, acting like a host and looking at those people who welcome others in. They were like, I found something. I have reason to celebrate. I'm inviting my community in to rejoice with me. So Jesus is depicting God here and God's kingdom saying, everyone is invited in to celebrate, to rejoice. Now, have you ever seen art depicted of Jesus with like sheep on his shoulders? Anyone ever seen that out there? I have. Have you ever seen Jesus with a broom sweeping, looking for a coin? Like, I don't know, it's always like, oh, the sheep is nice, fuzzy, cute. I mean, maybe sheep are cuter than coins. But that's my challenge. Like, both of these are supposed to show Jesus here. I want to see Jesus with a broom. Anybody who is artistic out there, that's my challenge to you. But it's true, because like, all of these examples, and Jesus was like, I am like this rich owner. God can be depicted there. God can be depicted as this woman cleaning her home. And so what is the point for all those who are listening? We had two kinds of groups, we said. We had the spiritual elite, the ones that were trying to lead, and then we had the sinners. So what are they taking from Jesus' parable? Both parables. Well, for the spiritual influencers, the whole point, what they were doing with their lives and their studies of God's word was to make earth like heaven. And in Jesus' prayer, you would remember that the words are, thy kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven. So the Jewish people, they're trying to figure out what heaven looks like so they can bring it to earth. That was a goal. So Jesus says, this is what heaven looks like. There's a a bunch of sheep running around and we're, we're having parties together. But every time, every time someone comes, they don't have to have the right background. Every time someone wants to come into the kingdom, we celebrate. Now note for the sinners. They weren't supposed to just come to Jesus and just stay as they were. But Jesus uses this word, repent, to say they're coming and they're saying, I'm done with whatever selfish choices I'm making. I want to follow Jesus. I want to change. I want to live like him. And again, we said in in Luke 14, just before this, he says, it's going to require sacrifice. You're going to have to let go of some things. So anytime someone's choosing Jesus. He's saying, you're making a choice and you're leaving something behind to sacrifice to join this kingdom. So everyone was required to grow here. Now the Rhiannon Giddens song that we talked about before, it was in her album called There Is No Other. And I took it to mean that, you know, I was just kind of reading these words and I was looking at all the different songs and there's all this There's this journey feel throughout her album. But then I was reading that the reason why she and her co-collaborator, Francesco Terizi, he's an Italian musician, they chose there is no other, as in stop othering people. Stop looking out and pointing out who is other than you, but that we're all together. 
and that was important for them, again, because she felt like an outsider in her community growing up. And Francesco, her co-collaborator, he was Sicilian, and growing up in his community in Italy, he felt like an outsider there. So they specifically wrote songs and covered certain songs that were from different cultures. They used all kinds of instruments to try to bring about a spirit of unity throughout their songs. Now, I found that interesting. Jesus, he's talking fluffy sheep and shiny coins, but isn't that the same idea of like, he's trying to say, you think this is other and you're all the same. We're all lost sheep. We're all lost coins. It wasn't supposed to be about the elite and the sinners. Jesus is bringing everyone to the party on the same level ground. So in Jesus' day, anyone who had been othered, he says, come to the party. And I don't know what was on his playlist, but we can only imagine. And the spiritual leaders were supposed to look out and say, these people who I considered out there less than, they're made in the image of God, just like me. We're all invited to the same party as guests in God's kingdom. So every week we look in the book of Luke and we read these words, and some are very familiar. Some stories about Jesus may strike us anew, but every time we ask, what does it mean to us? So we say, we're on this journey. We're on this journey with Jesus. So then how are we going to live because of these words? What does Luke 15 mean to us? And I say our challenge is to party on. So if you have already recognized in your life that you are following Jesus, that you felt lost and that you have been found, then I hope that you are celebrating with every new person who joins God's kingdom. And maybe some of us have felt lost for a long time. And maybe you're not really sure what that means, what's next. There's something messy on this path, and there's no way to get out on our own. If that's you, then I just want to talk just a minute more about what this word repenting is. Because that was in the both parables. Repenting is this idea that it's just like admitting that I mess up, I sin, I'm not perfect, I've made selfish choices, I've caused harm. So what, what can I do? I can't do it on my own. I can't fix everything like I want to. But Jesus died on a cross. He rose again. And he said, this is for you. You can choose this, this forgiveness, this freedom. We won't be perfect after repenting. But he's saying, I will walk with you and, and help you grow if you're willing. So Jesus, he described a party in heaven. But do you know we celebrate here on earth too? When someone makes a decision to join God's kingdom, to say yes to following Jesus, we have a baptism. Have anyone seen a celebration of baptism? Now, we haven't had, it's been a minute since we've pulled out, we have a portable tank here. We put it out on our front stoop and filled it up with lovely, very warm, sure, really warm water. And we've celebrated baptism here at Echo Church. And it's been a, a little bit, but that is what we do. It's, it's this outward celebration of an internal decision. But I'm very excited that Johnny and Zandra and Julia and Sophia are here today. They're our missions partners from Venezuela, and they've had some current baptisms. So I want Johnny to come up and share some of their stories so we can understand this earthly celebration, this party that goes on, because they've experienced it, and I've 
Johnny's going to come up and we're going to have some photos and some stories. So excited to be here. I've said this before, but this church reminds me of home because we have, we also rent uh, a, another church building that looks a lot like this. And we made it, so every time I come here, it's like, I feel like I'm uh, home in Venezuela again. Um, so excited to share some news. As, as I was coming out of the, uh, my house today, we were, we're staying in Mainville here this summer. And uh, there's these little bags hanging from the mailboxes. And I was like, well, why are the little bags hanging from the mailbox? I haven't seen that before. And then I, I looked closer, I noticed it's a newspaper, right? The, good, the newspaper is, they put them there instead of throwing them on the floor anymore. I don't know if they do that in your neighborhood or not, but it looked interesting because all these bags were just ha- hanging there. But there's nothing more than, you know, sometimes we read the bad news, but the good news is, is, is why we're here today, right? And, uh, and nothing better than the good news is when people accept the good news, right, and get baptized. One of my privileges have been this year is to serve on the on the board as the president of the board of the mission in Venezuela. There's 30 churches in our network. 15 of them are like in a, meet in a building like this. The other 15 meet like in house, house churches or in the park or something like that. So the fun part about being on the head of this board is not, I don't really do much. Except that I get to hear the stories. I get to get the stats of the churches and stuff. Like last year's, we had 205 baptisms, and that was one of our lowest years between our network of, of churches. And most of the churches are small, about this size, and, and some of them are bigger. We have one church that's about 400 people. So uh, we have all sizes, and one well, smallest church is 25 people that meet. And they just had a baptism this week, and I was so excited to hear about that. So I like getting those stats and hearing the stories. And one of the stories that just blew my mind away was one of the churches recorded like 30 baptisms one day. And I was like, whoa, I mean, your church is only about 100 people, and you recorded 30 baptisms. How how did that happen? So I had to dig deeper and find out what was going on. So it happens that this church is one of the lowest churches. neighborhoods where there's a lot of crime in Venezuela. It's, uh, it's called Menca. And, um, and part of the ministry there, they, they, they deal with a lot of people that are in problems with, uh, <laughs> with the cops and stuff like that. So a lot of these guys, the people in the community end up in prison. So the pastor there said, oh, well, what's God telling me to do? He got this calling, go to prison and, and, and try to reach some of those people from his community that went to prison. They don't have any hope now. So prisons down there are really, they're terrible. I mean, you think prison here is bad, but many prisons down there don't even have water, you know, have very scarce water or food. And uh, so it's a, it's a really bad situation. But these, uh, these people from the church, this pastor decided to take a group of men, and they went to this church, uh, to this prison, and they started reaching out. And he was so surprised that everybody wanted to hear, uh, hear them speak about Jesus. Eventually, they started their own service in the prison. And there was about, you know, 100 people, 200 people showing up for that service in the prison. So they said, hey, we, he realized, like, he started preaching about baptism one Sunday and realized that none of those people had been baptized he says, we're going to bring in a pool, and we're going to bring truckloads of water to fill the pool to be able to baptize you. So anybody wanting to get baptized this week, you know, if you haven't made that decision, uh, come this Saturday. So they brought in the pool. They brought in the water, and the service was amazing. Uh, people were just singing, and they had like 32 people baptized that day in, the, in that prison. So a lot of them were excited, but they're like, oh, they weren't sure about taking the step. And they're like, we're going to do this the next time. The next time you bring in the water and the trucks, we're going to do this. And, uh, and, and so they were getting ready to do this. But then the warden got kicked out of that prison 
And when the warden got kicked out of the prison, they were not allowed to go back. The pastor wasn't allowed to go back there. So they couldn't do more baptisms. So we're all like, what's going on? And, uh, yeah, you can see a picture there in the background of that, some of the baptisms that day. It's just a celebration. They're singing. I didn't even know if that had audio or not. But these people were just singing and praising the Lord. And then, so the warden left. And it's a lady warden at that prison. And she got transferred to a women's prison. And after like a month and a half, the, la- the warden at that uh, new prison called the pastor up. He's like, can you guys send a team, maybe of women, to come preach to our, our, our prison here? And, we're like, uh, and they were like, well, I guess so. So he, he put his wife to do this. And that's, this, yeah, this is the wife here leading that. I think that's a little video. I don't know if that can run or that is running. Okay. So this is her wife and a, a group of the women from the church. They've never done this before. And they just went there, and that day, 29 women, they also brought a pool in to baptize. 29 women got baptized that one day at that prison ministry. So it's amazing to see people, how they are responding. One thing I like about Venezuela is how people just respond to the gospel, and they want to be baptized. They want to have that new life. They want to start something new, you know, how the, as the Bible uh, teaches. And... Uh, but I've noticed that even though my passion is evangelism and teaching people that I'm not effective to every culture, every person. So some of you, like that women, they needed women to go into the prison to reach those other women, right? So what I've noticed that sometimes it's the congregation, well, sometimes always, congregation, each one of you has a circle of influence that is better, that you're better at reaching those people than your pastor is, or I am, or whatever. So uh, my family have learned this lesson since we were kids. And the Sunday before we came back to Venezuela, I mean to the United States, uh, we had a baptism that last Sunday. And I think, uh, I don't know if you can scroll through some of those pictures. We'll get to it. That's that one, yeah. That's, that one and the next one, they're both the same person. But this person right here, uh, this, her name's Stephanie. And the cool st- story about this is that she's a soccer player that plays with Julia. And uh, Julia plays for a secular team. None of the girls on the team are Christians. And every day as we drive there to practice, uh, Julia, uh, we pray. It was like, Lord, please help her, you know, be a light to these girls, you know, share the gospel. If some of the girls ask, give her boldness to speak about the faith and everything. And it's not easy, you know, especially when you're going to train. You don't have much time to talk about Jesus maybe. But every day we pray that prayer. And uh, and the, the, the end of the season was coming. We're like, man, nobody's been baptized this year. Last year we had like three people got baptized. This year nobody. And we were kind of disappointed. And then Julia released a song this spring. I don't know if you heard it. It's called With You. And she released a song and, and uh, she shared it with all her friends. So there's a lot of way to witness to people. But one of this was is through music. She shared her song with them. And then the girls started asking, oh, so what's the song about and everything. So Julia got a chance to talk more about Jesus. And uh Eventually, this girl came to church. And it's funny because of all the girls on the team, Julia told me, this girl was not the one I thought was going to come to church. You know, of all the girls on my team, I think this one's that had the hardest heart or whatever. You know, her lifestyle was like not, not the best. And she's like, I didn't think she was going to come. She showed up with her grandmother. I, I don't know if one of the, uh, there's maybe another picture with all the family that's there. That's not it. But anyways. That she showed up with her grandmother, her daughter, her sister, and her brother, and she got baptized that Sunday. It was amazing. Sophia uh, got news two weeks ago that her best friend 
I don't know if there's a picture. Is that it? No, that's Sophia getting baptized. Sophia got baptized this year. So uh, this was an amazing moment for us uh, in January, the first Sunday of the year, right? January 2nd. So we were so excited about that. Her birthday is on a second. So she's like, I got my second birth is now on a second too. So uh, we're excited about that. But Sophia doesn't fall behind either. We know Sophia can reach people that Julia and I can't reach. So she goes to soccer too and she invites her friends to church. And there might be a picture with two other girls in there. They're all out of order. I'm sorry. Uh, There's two little girls uh, about Sophia's age that also got baptized this year. Well, actually, they got baptized last year, and then two weeks ago, we got news that her best friend at church also got baptized. So this is incredible. God uses all of us. It's not, it's not just from the sermon. It's not the preacher. It's not the church. It's, you know, on Sunday. It's anywhere you at, you can be a light, and it's so exciting to see how God can use any of us. Sandra has a story, too. I mean, she's not going to get left out, right? So, uh, Sandra, there's a, there's a guy in one of these pictures I think with a white shirt. I don't know if you can find that one. But uh, this guy is the son of her cousin. And, uh, and her cousin started, uh, hadn't been going to church. And when we started streaming online uh, during COVID, uh, during COVID, uh, he started watching the service online. And he started, like, becoming the member through the online service. Eventually, he got his son to start watching online. His son now is 22 years old. And uh, in... His son was on, started coming to the church with him. So when we opened up again, they became, as a family, they started coming, the, the dad and the son, to church. The guy is 22 years old, and he had never been baptized, even though the father was a Christian, because uh, the parents had broken up and they got divorced. And uh, so eventually, uh, because they got divorced, they stopped going to church. So that's him, yeah, David, in the middle there. And that's, uh, his dad was actually, he's a pilot, he was flying that day, but... His mom's right next to us. And this is all some of our, Sandra's family, her parents, her brothers there. We're all celebrating. But the cool thing about this is that this kid, because he, the parents got divorced, had left the church. And, you know, he never, even though he believed in Christ, he never made the decision to get baptized. And then he stopped going to church and all that. And then when he started coming back, the first thing he said is like, hey, I've never been baptized. I never celebrated. I've never had this experience and stuff like that. So he's like, hey, we're doing this. So uh, we got him prepared. We taught him what all baptism was all about. And uh, he, got, uh, he, he got baptized within like two or three weeks that he was coming to, to church. The funny thing about that is that the mother came up to me this, the Sunday. He came forward to make it publicly, uh, the public confession before everybody. The mom came up and told me, you don't remember this, but 22 years ago, we presented him at church and your dad was up here, and you guys prayed for him. I don't think I have that picture there. But it was amazing. 22 years ago, he was presented to church, in church as a baby. He's just been born. And, the, and we prayed over him and said, Lord, you know, be in his life and, and be a guide. And, and I pray that he will uh, eventually come and follow you in his, in his footsteps as our parents did. But it took 22 years, Okay. Sometimes uh, baptism can happen from one day to another, like, we, like with the friend with Tiffany, the Julia's friend, you know. But sometimes it takes 22 years, you know. It takes a long time. 
So uh, you just have to be patient. When they plant the fruit, wherever you, the seed, I'm sorry, wherever you're, you're, you're at, whether it's at work, at home, and wherever it's family. Sometimes family is the hardest people to share the faith with because, you know, you don't want to, like, mess up the family relationship if they get upset or whatever. So, but God can use you in any situation. So this is some of the baptisms and some of the things where we, we had this year that's, it just makes me excited. And that's why I like ministering in Venezuela. We see so many baptisms, you know, because people are still receptive to the gospel. And they want to make that decision. They want to make that change. They want to have that new life. So it's, it's always exciting to do ministry in Venezuela because of that. So I wanted to let you all know that um, So that we've, we've known the Dye family for years. And they're... If you see on our website, we've got missions partners locally and globally, and we, every time you give to Echo, you give to our ministry, we give to their ministry too. And so that's so great when they can visit and share stories with us. And we keep talking about this celebration and song. And so these girls are very talented, and we want to end our time today with this celebration and song. And if you know it, sing along or just take in the lyrics, the music, and have ourselves a live little concert here. Uh, we just want to pray over the family today. I'm so thankful that they're here. Hey, God, thank you so much for bringing the Die family here with us today. We are so thankful for their ministry. I pray that you will be with them as they embrace Venezuela with your love, as they encompass that space and bring people to you, as they create these churches, as they create these communities, these homes of churches with people who are being baptized, who are being blessed, who are being shown the love of Jesus. I pray that you will be there in all of their spaces, that you will be with them as they work. We are so thankful for them, and we do say a hallelujah to thank you for being in their space, for blessing them as this year has come, as they have come back to visit us, as they travel home again, as they embark on new school year, get ready for college, as they meet new people in their soccer teams and in their schools this year, that they are able to be, to be a light to them, that they are able to be the voice of God, that they are able to just show your love in the best ways that they all can. Lord, we pray over them. We bless them. In your name, amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.